Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,574. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. I'm revved up and so excited to share with you today somebody who's calling in from across the pond, Peter McAlpine. He's in the UK, and he's sitting in a room full of some very special cars. Peter McAlpine joined Gerardo & Company, where he and his talented team offer the most up-to-date and accurate market knowledge relating to the sourcing, selling, and valuations of fine classic cars. Working one-on-one with a growing list of loyal clients, they help automotive enthusiasts and collectors source and sell vehicles, always matching the right car with the right enthusiast. Peter joined Gerardo and Company in 2018 as a junior executive, forming part of a driven and experienced team who achieved successful results for buyers and sellers. A lifelong passion for classic cars has brought Peter towards his dream of working in the collector car world. In his job, he works towards uncovering the unknown history of individual cars, and to build history files that help paint the full picture of a vehicle for its new owner. By the way, Max Gerardo, president of Gerardo & Company, is a past guest here on Cars yeah, and he's a past guest on the Buy, Sell, Hold podcast that I do with Keith Martin, so you can find his shows there. We'll be back in a minute to talk with Peter, but first a word from our valued sponsors that make this show possible, so sit tight. This is going to be a fun ride. Did you know Covercraft is much more than car covers? They offer protection for the inside of your vehicles too. Sunscreens to keep your vehicles cool and protected from the sun's damaging UV rays. Dash pads that do the same so your dash stays looking new without all those ugly cracks and fading. The seat covers that are easily removed for washing are awesome, but it's their custom fit floor mats that I really love. Is your vehicle getting a little long in tooth? Well, there's no better way to give it a new car look than with a custom fit floor mat and trunk mat. I replace mine every few years with something a little different, contrasting, just to have some fun. It stops that urge to buy a new car, and more importantly, it protects the factory carpets, so when it's time to sell your vehicle, it looks brand new. They're easy to clean, they secure to the floor for safety, and they look oh so good. Don't forget your trunk, too. Custom-fit trunk liners for sedans, coupes, and SUVs are perfect protection for the factory carpets from all those things that can stain and damage the floor of your vehicles. Check out Covercraft.com for a huge number of styles, colors, and options that'll make you smile. And I've got a deal for you. If you use the code YAH120, that's Y-E-A-H-120 at Covercraft.com, you get 10% off your Covercraft order. So go to Covercraft.com today and use the code YAH120 at checkout. Tell them Mark sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Covercraft, they've got you covered. So what do you do after running a race team for 27 years with over 100 podiums, multiple Daytona wins, and a win at Le Mans? Well, if you're a racer and the Racers Group team owner, Kevin Buckler, you found Adobe Road Winery. Located in Petaluma, California, he and his team have created a winning combination with the Racing Series, four ultra-premium red wine blends that are in a class of their own. Like racing, these wines comprise of art, 
precision engineering science, all wrapped in a whole lot of fun. You can choose from four blends titled Redline, Apex, Shift, and the 24. Today, I'm going to talk about the 24. This wine earned 91 plus points from Robert Parker's Wine Advocate. It's a dark, spicy, and velvety blend with ripe blue and black fruits and very smooth tannins. The label features a three-dimensional full metal chronograph in a bright gold finish that pays homage to the Daytona Rolex winners receive at Le Mans. The racing series is a fantastic gift for the ultimate enthusiast in your life. And I've got a deal for you today. If you use the code CARS, yeah, all one word, all in caps, when you're at the adoberoadwinery.com checkout, you get $10 off any purchase of wines from the racing series. Your wine ships promptly and arrives quickly right at your door. Use the code CARS, yeah, checkout to get $10 off your purchase of the racing series today. There's always a seat at the table for excellence with the racing series. Go to Adobe Road Wines today and use the code CARSYA at checkout. Cheers! Well, Peter, welcome to CARSYA. Are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Uh, I'm not sure about buckled up. I'm sitting in a room full of very, very cool cars that I'd love to buckle myself into, but... I think I think we're ready. I think we're ready. Let's go. You know, uh, before we started the show, Peter took me on a little walk around, and Peter just mentioned some of the cars that I got to lust over. I mean, you are sitting in Candyland. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we've got we've got some amazing cars here. We've got personally my favorite, which is the 1995 Ferrari 412T2 Formula One car. It is the very first car with a prancing horse. Formula One that Michael Schumacher ever drove. He drove it at a test at Fiorano and at Estoril. And the car itself was also uh, driven by Jean Alesi uh, to a podium at Imola. So it's a very, very special thing. There's also a 308 Group B car uh, done by Michelotto, and it's one of only four. There's a Porsche 2.7 RS lightweight in a beautiful yellow color and the most beautiful original uh, Alfa Romeo GTA in the corner as well. So it's a good, good room full of cars. Yeah, I think so. I think I need to jump, uh, hop on a jet and come over there and visit you. If we weren't all on quarantine here, that's exactly what I think I'd have to do because, oh my gosh, uh, you're working in the dream job. Well, listen, before we jump into the questions here, I want to ask you this. What's one little thing that most people don't know about you, Peter? Well, one thing that most people don't know is the fact that the first time I ever drove anything, uh, I was nine years old. I grew up on a, I grew up on a farm, actually, and... Um, I, I was given given sole control of a, of a JCB at nine years old to drive around the field. So it's been it's been a bit of a lifelong lifelong task driving. <laughs> How did you do in that in that first drive? Uh, it was okay. It was okay. I I didn't didn't crash anything. Didn't didn't uh, didn't endanger anyone. So uh, so all in. I'd say for a first drive, <laughs> successful. When my son was eight years old, we were on a farm and he got to drive a Volkswagen Beetle. And he could barely reach the pedals and look over the steering wheel. And I remember I told him, look, whatever you do, hang on to the steering wheel. Don't let go. And we're going down this little bumpy road and we go over this ridge and you had to turn left. Otherwise, you'd go off the edge of this little, it wasn't a big cliff, but it would have been a nasty uh, shunt, as you say over there. And so he's going and, and I'm going, turn, 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 turn. And I grab the wheel and I twist it really hard. Well, his poor little arms got all crossed up and he goes, oh, dad, no. dad, you hurt my arms. And I said, well, let go. And he said, you told me not to let go. So, <laughs> so uh, it's a good memory for me. And I'm sure that ride for you is a great memory. Well, let's start with a 
success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying that perhaps has been instrumental in forming your life and your success. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah. So Peter, grab the wheel. I think for me, uh, it was something that was was taught to me when I started this job, which is it's it's under promise and over deliver, because that way you always appear to be appear to be giving giving something better than was expected. Absolutely. Well, it's pretty easy to do with the kind of vehicles that you and your team handle there at Gerardo. Um, tell me a couple examples of how you do that in that company that you work with. Because, I mean, I'm familiar with what you guys do, but there's lots of people around the world selling old cars, right? You guys are in a different league. Well, thank you for that. That's, uh, that's very kind of you. I think a good way of under-promising and over-delivering with what we do is is to, to give an idea of the history of a car or to give an idea of the condition of a car. And then when it arrives, when you look through the history file, when you see the car in person, for it to be absolutely immaculate and just to for it to blow you away as soon as you see it. With the history file side, when you open it up and see pages and pages of pictures of the car in period, that, that really does give the client a nice surprise when, when they open their file. Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about what you do there. You're, in essence, a historical detective, it seems like, which sounds like a really, really fun job of unwrapping the onion layers here of each of these cars and finding everything you can about a vehicle so that somebody that buys it has this complete history. And of course, that not only adds value to the vehicle, but it adds a wonderful sense of the ownership chain, what the car means. I mean, I love that. I'm still finding out things about my old Porsche that I didn't know. They just kind of come up when people contact me. So walk through what you do for the business, why it's so important, and what it means to you to be able to, to have this job working uh, around these incredible vehicles. Yeah, so my, my position mainly is to, uh, to, to help discover the history of a car. So from racing cars, it's a bit easier. It's not, it's not easy, easy, but it's a bit easier because we've got an incredible library downstairs of all of the possible racing series you can ever imagine. And I spend a lot of time with my head in books looking through looking through different race numbers and, and chassis numbers and, and trying to paint as comprehensive of a picture of a car that, uh, that we possibly can. From the point of a road car, it's, it's a little bit more difficult. We use historical, uh, historical registration documents and, and invoices and, and everything that comes with a car to, to build a full picture of it. And my colleague Marcus, who who does the more fine details of the research, he he's uh, he's very very good at, at filling in the gaps and and finding things that no one had ever found about their car. So once it all comes together into into one history file, it is just the most amazing thing because you, in the best case, you can see where a car has been from the day it was ordered to the day that you are looking through the file. It's it's incredible. It's really incredible. I had the real pleasure of spending three days uh, at the Ferrari factory. I was with somebody who was picking up another Michael Schumacher X car, a 2000 Formula One Ferrari, and actually rented the track for the day. We had a full crew there that uh, helped him run out of the, the box there. And we went into their archives, and we're looking through these books. And another car this gentleman owned was a car that actually sold last year for, I think it was $6 million. It was an ex Nicky Lauda car. Uh, with the, the snorkel, if you will, up on the top of it. And we were looking through the books, and you could see notes that Nikki Lauda had written trackside saying oversteer here, understeer, lock power, brakes need this, that. 
incredible the kind of history that Ferrari keeps on their race cars. But again, when you get to street cars, that's a whole nother uh, venue. So how deep a dive are you guys able to take? Let's say that beautiful yellow lightweight uh, Carrera that I want so badly that's sitting there to your to your right. Oh my gosh, uh, my heart is pitter-pattering right now. What are some of the, the avenues and, and tricks and tips that you guys use to get these histories on these street cars? Well, with Porsche, it's 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 quite it's a little bit easier because there's such a such a loyal following with the cars. It starts off looking in the the books that we have. So we have uh, we have registries for pretty much every major model of Porsche. So we we look through that book, and then you can see the original build specification and where it was delivered, the market, and any options that had been put on the car. For instance, the yellow car has a uh, has a sunroof, which is a bit strange for a, for a lightweight car, but uh, right. it doesn't have conditioning. So I guess it was take the weight away one place and put it in another. Then we look through everything that's been supplied to us and anything that we can find. We have a good number of contacts that know different models in very, very acute detail. So we can use our pool of knowledge and our pool of contacts and, and build a, a good history of the car as well. You must come to work with a big smile on your face every day because to get to play in the world of your passion is a pretty rare thing. But then again, that's what Cars has all about inspiring automotive enthusiasts. So uh, I think it's fantastic what you get to do. Let's talk a little bit about a challenge or a failure you may have faced along the way in your career. Now, you're a pretty young guy, but perhaps there's something that you encountered that kind of pushed you back a little bit. I always ask this question not to drum up a negative past, but more to share with somebody who might be faced with the same things, how you dealt with it and how you came out of it as a good learning lesson and how you move forward in a positive way. So take us on a little ride. So I actually had a big think about this and I don't think anything work-wise I could class as a big enough challenge. So I had to look back to university and in my degree uh, I had to write a final year dissertation and as someone who suffered with quite bad dyslexia throughout the entire school process the idea of writing a 10,000 word dissertation was was terrifying. It was it was really really scary. But I guess going through that period and going through that process being able to put all of the different parts of the research that I'd done together, it did really, really help me learn that all of the hard work that you put into a project, by the time you get to the end of it, it's entirely worth it. Looking back on that time now, I really learned that the amount of hours that I put in and the the, the stress and the and the unhappiness of having to having to write a review of academic literature, it was all worth it. And looking back at the final piece of work, it's it's really gratifying. You know, I really appreciate you sharing that with me. I have had a, what I've kind of deemed as a surprising number of guests on this show who have uh, had to deal with dyslexia. And what I've found is, and I, I've I've kind of looked into it a little bit, because actually when my father, he passed away about three years ago at the age of 84. When he was 80, he fell and broke his neck. And when we were talking one day, he mentioned to me that he had dyslexia. And I looked at him and I went, What? And he said, yeah. He goes, I have a really hard time reading and writing. And I said, Dad, what are you talking about? Why am I just hearing this right now? And he said, well, have you ever seen me reading a book? And, and I, you know, it's one of those epiphany moments. You, you know, you stop and go, you're right. I never did see you reading. He said, because I have a really hard time doing that. And he went very deep into the challenges that he had. Now, back when he was a child, they didn't understand what this was. So his teachers called him stupid. He goes, my whole school life, teachers just call him, he goes, my own dad 
said I was stupid. I didn't work hard enough. So what I've learned from this, and my sister who taught special education and has shared some books with me that talk about people with dyslexia have a different kind of brain that functions in a different way. And for many of them, they are able to see things differently than, say, somebody without dyslexia. And one of them is to be able to see in three-dimensional form. Now, my dad became an architect. He got a degree in college in engineering. I don't know how he pulled that off. He said by memorizing a lot of stuff and having tutors that helped him through that that did understand what he was dealing with, even back in the 40s, I guess it was. So, um, yeah, I mean, for you, and I appreciate you sharing a really personal side of your life, has there been another aspect of this that you found to be positive in the way that you can view and see things? I don't know about seeing in three dimensions. That one's not one that I've ever I've ever uh, I've ever experienced but for me I always find that my long-term memory is quite sharp I think that's one sort of good side of it I can remember where I've been and what I was doing and in very very fine detail and the very small details that you usually let go in a scenario I can I can remember there you go short term wise it's a little bit more difficult <laughs> because it's clearly being put somewhere for later but it's not being accessed that quickly but long-term memory and small facts, very, very small menial facts I'm quite good at remembering. Well, that's great. And that serves you well with the kind of role you're playing there at Gerardo and Company as well. So, well, thanks for taking me on that journey. I find this really fascinating and I just keep coming across more and more people. A lot of them who've been guests on the show are fabricators and builders and restorers and artists, which is quite interesting to me. Again, a different way the mind is working. I had a guest on the show not too long ago, Lewis Lee, who had a severe dyslexia, and he had a great way of looking at it. He said, I think God just gave me a different way to look at things than he gave other people. And I, th I think that was such a wonderful way for him to approach that in his life because it was such a challenge. But he's been successful in the other businesses that he does. So uh, I just find it fascinating. You learn the most interesting things when you just listen to people and ask them good questions. We're going to take a short break and thank our sponsors here. But when we get back, we're going to go on to Peter's personal automotive journey, this passion he has with cars. So keep yourself seatbelt on. We'll be right back. If you're listening to Cars Yeah, you've probably spent some time working on your favorite ride. But how confident are you working on your finances? You may be able to rebuild a fuel injection system, but can you decipher the details of a mutual fund? If you're like me, investments, insurance, annuities, budgeting, and other financial concepts may seem a bit daunting. But what if I told you there's a book that describes these subjects and more in an easy-to-read and a very humorous way? My friend Chris Kimball, CFP, a longtime sponsor and past guest here on Cars yeah, has written that book, and it's titled The Saga of Ike and Penny, a couple's humorous journey through the confusing world of finance. It's a fun look at things you need to know, everything from investing to effective ways to get rid of credit card debt, and it's probably the only book on finance with a VMAX on the front cover and a classic Mini Cooper on the back. The book's available at Amazon for just $10, and this book will dramatically improve the direction of your financial future. I gave copies to each of my children. All securities are through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Christopher Kimball Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Get your copy, The Saga of Ike and Penny, today. My favorite collector car magazine is Keith Martin's Sports Car Market. I've been a subscriber for decades. Sports Car Market is the Wall Street Journal for enthusiasts and collectors. It's your monthly must-read whether you dream of owning a collector car, 
Maybe you have two, or maybe you've got 200. Sports Car Market has been around for 31 years, and it's filled with valuable articles, intelligent write-ups, and the latest auction sales. Go to sportscarmarket.com and subscribe today. And don't miss my weekly podcast with Keith Martin titled Buy, Sell, Hold. It's the essence of collecting. We talk to the movers and shakers in the collector car world. Here's a couple deals I have for you just for listening here on Cars Yeah. If you use the checkout code Cars Yeah, you'll receive a 50% discount on your digital subscription at Sports Car Market. That's an exclusive offer from Cars Yeah. And guess what? Here's another deal. If you'd like to get the actual magazine, use the code BSH for buy, sell, hold. That's code BSH. And you'll get $10 off your annual print subscription. That's right. $10 off. Both of these are exclusive offers here at Cars Yeah for Sports Car Market Magazine. Just go to sportscarmarket.com and get your deals today. Okay, Peter, we're back, and I would love for you to share this passion that you have with cars with us today. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you knew that you were going to be a car guy? So as long as I can remember, I was always really interested in anything mechanical, any anything with an engine, really. But cars came in for me in, in one very, very clear moment of clarity. Luckily, I mean, for someone in the classic car industry, there's always one person or one one thing that seems to seems to make them interested and for me that was my that was my uncle who's called John Guyatt he's a great guy he's had some he's had some very very cool cars and he's always always had fun with his cars which is the important thing and it was in 2005 uh, no it was in it was in 2003 actually uh, and he was racing his D-type at Aintree circuit now this is before D-types took this enormous leap in value and he was he was just using it as more of a plaything and he'd actually done this race meeting and there was a special guest well there were two special guests at the meeting one was sterling moss and the other was tony brooks oh my gosh wow and john's d-type was an xkss conversion car so it was one of the it was the first xkss that was turned into a d-type so it had two seats so he got driven around aintree motor racing circuit by tony brooks oh my and he then pulls into the paddock Tony Brooks gets out, John jumps into the passenger seat and he waves me over and there I am six, seven years old with huge ear defenders on that were about the same size as my head (laughs) and he says, Peter, come in, jump in. He puts me into the passenger seat of this D-type and then drives me back into the paddock and I just remember sitting there thinking this is the coolest thing in the entire world, looking at all of the people, mouths open, looking at this beautiful, beautiful piece of art. And then I get out and see the fin and just the look of the car and just the memory of the noise and everything. Oh my gosh, what an indoctrination. Well, I think anyone who didn't become an automotive enthusiast after that day, especially at that age, definitely just wasn't destined to love cars. So, oh yeah, I, I've been going to the Pebble Beach Concours every year for Well, this would have been my 31st year if they were going to do it this year. Unfortunately, of course, as we all know, they've had to cancel. And I've been taking my son since he was quite young, and I think he was about seven. And he met a man who had a D-type, and the guy invited him to drive onto the lawn on Sunday morning with him. 
And my son came running over. He said, Dad, that man wants me to drive onto the lawn with him uh, tomorrow morning. And I said, well, I want to drive onto the lawn with him. <laughs> and so we put it early. We were there at 430 in the morning. We put him in the seat and I went down and, you know, with the Haggerty Dawn Patrol and had some coffee and donuts. And sure enough, eventually they came around the corner. And yeah, the smile on his face was I think he had a grin on his face for the rest of the day. So those are great things when people allow young people to sit in their cars and experience their cars and share them. That's what this hobby's all about. So, oh my gosh, what a wonderful thing for you to do. Well, how about your first really special car? What was it? And maybe share a memory you have about that ride. I've not actually owned many special cars. I've, in fact, I've only ever owned one. <laughs> That's so all it my, takes. My only other car is a BMW, uh, BMW second generation mini. And that was used as a, just a run around really. Yeah. And I guess that isn't, that interesting. So would you like to hear about the most special car I've ever driven instead? Well, uh, you know, I love minis. My, we bought my daughter a couple Mini Coopers, and I actually spent a lot of time behind the wheel in that car, driving her to college every year and then flying down to California and driving back home. 1,400-mile drive, and I was shocked at how comfortable it was. But, yeah, I think we want to hear about the most interesting car you've driven because I think you've gotten behind the wheel of some very special rides. So uh, buckle up. So it was it was one of the best days of my working life, probably the best. It's a special moment in any car enthusiast's life when they first get to drive a Ferrari. And I was out on a photo shoot. I'd had to I'd had to drive out to an airfield to to go and do this photo shoot for a car. And I was told that I needed to drive the car for for some video and for some moving shots. And then I was handed the keys to the car. I knew what it was going in, but I, I didn't want to believe it was actually going to happen. And then I, I climbed into a Ferrari 250 short wheelbase. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I've had the pleasure of driving two of those cars. And mm. oh my gosh. Yeah. What a lucky day. So give me your impressions of driving that car. And you were at a place where you could actually have a little fun because an airfield, it was safe. You could get up to speed. So what was your impression? Well, firstly, that engine. That engine is the most glorious sounding thing in the entire world. It's so smooth and I didn't drive it quickly. The airfield we were on, it was it was quite a quite a small area that we'd managed to manage to get. And there was actually an active runway just the other side of where we were shooting. So it probably wasn't a good idea to take on the active runway. <laughs> Maybe not. No. <laughs> yeah, I just I had a drive around. I must have only only hit 45 miles an hour, maybe. Uh -huh. But just everything about the car. I find I find early 60s cars are for me the most pleasurable things to drive because you're actually involved in the in the uh, in the process you every input that you make actually really translates into how the car behaves and the just the beautiful feel through the lovely wooden steering wheel and the the, the gear change and just the engine noise is, is unbelievable it was ridiculous oh. and who can you can go out there and say uh, first the first Ferrari I ever drove was a 250 short wheelbase. It's I don't know that there's anybody that could probably say that. Actually, you know, I think it's uh, kind of crazy. Yeah, uh, they're just delightful, and I really think for an early Ferrari, it's one of my favorites. Just something about the look of the whole car, the stance, the bulldog feel of that vehicle. To me, it just everything about it feels right. I know everybody talks about the GTO or the Lusso or some of the other cars of that era, but I just find that car a wonderful cross between street perfection track perfection and i don't know i just feel at home when i look at 
those cars. So I'm so happy that was your first Ferrari experience. Yeah. Now you just got to save all those those pence uh, and pounds and until uh, <laughs> so you can get yourself one of those. But oh my gosh, they become pricey, haven't they? Yeah, it's a very, very special thing to drive. And it's, it's a, I guess it's an equally special thing to own. I, I've never, I don't think it's in the near future for me to be able to be in a position to run one, but, or even the distant future. Um, but yeah, it, what an experience, what an experience. And in my favorite color as well, which is dark blue for a Ferrari is just stunning. Oh, wow. That's pretty rare color for, for that car. Yeah. yeah. I've seen one in black that the folks at GTO engineering had, and that might've been a reproduction. I'm not sure. Cause I know they do some of those, but I never thought those cars would look so good in dark colors, but it looks really nice in a dark color. So what a wonderful experience. Well, here's a bit of a introspective question. I'm going to have you dive into the depths of your mind here for me, Peter. If you woke up tomorrow and you were a vehicle parked in the showroom there at Gerardo and Company, not what you want to be, but how you perceive yourself as a vehicle, what would Peter be and why? The vehicle I have in my mind, actually, I don't think would ever make it into our showroom. <laughs> So that's okay. I've been asked this question before and I tend to go back to the same answer. And I think I'd probably be a Range Rover. And why is that? Just because it's it's quite an English vehicle. Uh something about it's quite English and I think as much as I'd love to be able to be sort of a citizen of the world, I I think I am quite English. It's built for comfort and not speed. I'm no athlete, so I think that's that's a fair enough idea. And growing up on a farm, I think like a Range Rover, I was sort of designed to be in the countryside and to be built for that kind of environment, but it just ends up spending most of its time in the city. There you go. Wow, great answer. Thank you for that. Well, we are entering the last lap here. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and have you give us some quick blips of that Range Rover throttle kind of answers here. So let's go. Uh, what's one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your many successes in life? I think it's obsessing over mistakes that I make. So if I ever make a mistake, I will give myself a really, really hard time for it. And I'll make sure that I remember how annoyed I was at myself that I made that mistake. So it doesn't actually repeat itself. That's that's the idea anyway. Learning from your mistakes. Absolutely. Well, that's what makes uh, those lessons so valuable. And that's why uh, I always say to people, it's okay to make mistakes because you learn something from it. So move on. How about if I could arrange for you to sit down and have a drink or a meal with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased? Who would that person be? For me, it would have to be Senna. It would have to be Senna just to be able to sit down. And there are so many historic moments in motorsport that he was involved in. And to be able to ask about 1989 Suzuka and 1990 Suzuka and just to be able to sit with him and even ask about that pole lap around Monaco in 1989, the out-of-body experience that he describes, uh, it must just be, to hear firsthand must be ridiculous. It must be incredible. Yeah, you know, my regular listeners have heard this. I have one of his quotes on my business card, in the back of my business card, and, and the quote is, the past is just data, I only see the future. And I always love that because it relates back to your comment before of learning from lessons and that those lessons of times that maybe we failed or we've had challenges are just data. And we'll use that to move forward and always look ahead. And of course, it's a great metaphor for racing, which is head up, look through the windshield, look where you want to go, not where you are. Senna is one of my heroes as well. How about the best automotive advice someone else has ever given you? It would probably go back to what my uncle told me about cars, which is, there are items to be enjoyed. There's something that is very special to, to a lot of people. And 
a car is only a car if it's being driven. Otherwise, it's a piece of history and a piece of art. He genuinely believed that those people that enjoyed their cars the most were the ones that used them. So I think, I think that's a good philosophy to think about when you're thinking of these cars, because as special and historic as pretty much everything in this room is, they are there to be used, and it would be a shame not to use them. You know, I need to do that more with mine. I tend to not drive it as much as I should because I'm afraid something might happen to it. It's become worth a lot more money than what I paid. I was just lucky with that buy. But I do need to get out there and enjoy that more. And that podcast I do with Keith Martin, Sports Car Market, he always ribs me because he enjoys his cars. He drives his cars. And he keeps saying, Mark, I want to see a video of you eating a burrito in your car, uh, dripping sauce in your lap and driving down the road with a big smile on your face. And I, I said, I'm not sure that's going to ever happen. But I did shoot a video of him uh, for him that I posted on Facebook of, of me drinking coffee and eating a piece of my wife's delicious banana bread in my BMW M3. So I got a little closer to loosening up a little bit there, but I, I need to I need to get a little bit looser. How about a resource? Is there one out there that you would share with our listeners that's a go-to for you? So doing, doing a lot of research, I use two websites quite consistently. One is Barquetta. So that's amazing for if you're looking into classic Ferraris, it's, it's just a chassis number database and there's great history behind each car and you can find so much. Uh, and then for non-Ferraris, I, I tend to use Ultimate Car Page quite a lot. Uh, and that's, that's usually a really good starting point. So you can find pictures, you can find small write-ups on models of cars, and I think that's a really, really good place to start. And then you delve into a library after that to try and find the finer details. Very cool. Now, how about a book? Is there a book you've read you think our listeners would enjoy reading as well? I was thinking about this, and um, it's an amazing book, but I don't think it's that accessible. <laughs> okay. So it's Inside Track, which is the Phil Hill book. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, is that the one that his son created? Yeah, it's the most beautiful item. I remember when ours, ours arrived in the office, and it's one of the few times that a book has turned up in our office and then everybody just stops what they're doing and starts looking at it because it's filled with very personal stories. And most of the photos in there were actually taken by Phil when he was at race meetings. So it's, yeah. it's like seeing his history through his eye. It's, it's just incredible. Yeah, that book is uh, by, obviously, Phil's son, Derek. And uh, Derek has been a guest here on Cars Yeah. In fact, when that book came out, he was a guest here. I'm fortunate enough to have uh, the set of that of those books. It's more than just one. And I find it fascinating, and I learned about this before, that Phil took so many in Kodachrome color pictures back in the day when not too many people shot color. I had the distinct pleasure of spending a day with Phil Hill. He was a featured guest at our vintage races here in the Pacific Northwest. And I got to have lunch with him. I have a great picture of him sitting with my son on the wheel of my uh, what I was racing then, a Lotus Formula Junior. And uh, he was just a delightful, personable person. I mean, just soft-spoken. He kind of reminded me of my grandfather in some ways, just even his looks a little bit. So uh, yeah, definitely Inside Track by Derek Hill. I'll make sure I put a link to that book and to a website because it's it, it's a must-have for anybody's automotive library. It's just a, a keeper for sure. All right, Peter, we're up to the last question here. I know you've had this thought before, but I'm going to buy you a cool collector car today. Any vehicle that exists in the world, I'm going to park it in your garage. But there's a couple rules to this game that might make it a bit of a challenge. Uh, you can't sell it 
to buy a bunch of other cars with. So that little trick's off the table. You pick the most expensive car, you stuck with it, my friend. You have to drive it. So I wanted to tick a lot of boxes. I want it to be enjoyable. I want you to have a passion, but I want you to take it out and enjoy it. So no garage queens allowed around here. Here's the kicker, though. It's the only one cool collector car you can have. So it kind of needs to do everything for what you want to do with an old car. So what can I buy you? It really depends on the day you ask. <laughs> well, I'm asking you today, so you pick what you want today. I know tomorrow, like with me, it'll be something different. It always depends on what I've been researching during the day or what I've, what I've been working on at the office. But there's always a list of my top four or top five. Uh, so McLaren F1 could be one. Yeah. Because it, it's around the same age as me. So it's it's sort of... I feel like I feel like it's sort of grown up with me and it's I've seen it throughout my life and it was a brand new car when I was born. Another one is a, an 8C2300 Monza to go to completely the other side of the scale going to vintage racing with uh, with my uncle. It was always sort of the halo car. It was when we were in the pre-war or the post-war grids or you see all of the cars in those grids and against my uncle's Talvo you look you look at it and you think oh, I wish he was in the Alpha. That was always the one tier was such a a god level to us um yeah a d-type could be a possibility just because of i feel i have a small bit of personal history with it it's sort of the car that ignited my passion for this for this industry but i think it's going to have to go back to the ferrari 250 short wheelbase (laughs) okay short wheelbase in dark blue for me is is the ultimate preferably an alloy body but if you if you were offering to buy me a steel body i wouldn't say no yeah i yeah i would think not well you know it's an interesting walk through some fantasy cars for you and i think it's pretty cool and each one of those is so very different uh it shows a little bit of how multifaceted you are peter in your thinking and the way of your life which i think is a tremendous thing so okay i'll get to work i'm sure your 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 colleagues there could find that car for you that'd be pretty cool to be able to pull up to the shop every day and uh jump out of that car and say i'm here guys and watch all the mouths drop open ah what a wonderful thought well peter you've taken me on a great ride today this has been a a, a real joy for me i want to thank you for sharing your life and your journey with the cars yeah listeners before i let you go could you share us one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off into the english countryside in that beautiful 250 short wheelbase i think it's just that you make your own luck in life i was very very fortunate to to be able to work in this industry and i I feel my entry into the industry was very lucky but i think if you see an opportunity you've got to take it and then if you do take the opportunity and you you do get into a job then i think it's just a case of really working and really showing your passion for for what you're doing absolutely you know i've always said about luck that it really is just an intersection between preparation and opportunity and you said it very well there so uh go out there listeners make your own luck today enjoy the world classic cars and when you get a chance go to gerardoandcompany.com their website uh you get prepared to have some uh real fun there uh, they have marvelous cars. If you're in the UK, you can look them up and visit and see their showroom as I got a little tour today, which is quite fantastic. You can find everything that Peter has shared today on his Cars yeah website. Just go to CarsYow.com, type in Peter McAlpin, M-A-C-A-L-P-I-N-E, and that page will pop right up. Peter, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with the Cars yeah listeners. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road. 
Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure chatting. And as soon as you're allowed out of the house and as soon as you come to England, we expect to see you here in the showroom having a look at some great cars and drinking some good coffee. That sounds delightful. Cheers. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.